was along and yeah we did that? we did riff quite a bit yeah we were riffing so can you make two out of that i think there's two and uh, i think the there was a segue the door you guys wanna, you guys with the phone a, call you guys crack a window let the smoke kind of air out it's getting pretty intense <laughs> well, you're not smoking a cigar but yeah you're is smoking running. a cigar my nose is running hey hey wally in person yeah can can you throw the big matches over here these little matches are dog shit. Welcome to Unfiltered, where you get three residential HVAC industry experts smoking cigars, drinking whiskey, and giving you practical advice to grow your company. If you want to watch the video version of this podcast, go to egia.org slash YouTube, or go to facebook.com slash weareegia. Yeah, I think right along the lines of our culture that you're talking about, we we talk about it's okay to make mistakes. In fact, we kind of expect people to make mistakes. They're not trying hard if they're not trying new things. You're not gonna do it right every time. But we don't wanna make the same mistake twice. So part of what we like to do is we wanna debrief in our management team meetings and we wanna talk about you know what happened, why did it happen, we call it an autopsy. And so we do an autopsy and we talk about it and we try to put a process in place I'll give you a great example on the maintenance program. So we went out and full force went with the auto debit credit card. Let's do this $13.95 a month. And we thought, you know what, this is what the customer wants. This is a great idea. And what we discovered was it's not really a great idea. It's a really great idea for the customer, but it's not a great idea internally because there's a lot of debit cards that go out, credit cards go out. And so you didn't anticipate the administrative cost of that. At least we didn't. So we found out, well, you know what? There's a lot of administration costs to that. Let's not go out and put that on the literature anymore. So we don't have it on the literature anymore. We want paid up front. That's our philosophy. We still do the auto debit cards, but when the customer asks for it. So only about 20% of our club customers now are on the auto debit program. It used to be about 80%. We flipped that. And so now what we do is we We've trained, you know, the techs to just be a little bit smarter about how to communicate, yeah. you know, with the one-page flyer, or in our case, we've got a little video and we, you know, put the iPad in front of the customer, uh, whatever works. And so now the customers are being taught, you know, hey, the, the value of the program is worth the prepay. There's a little bit of a discount, so it's more expensive to do the auto debit because it costs more to do the auto debit, but you get a cash discount if you pay up front. Most of the customers in our demographic have a little bit of money. They're, they're willing to pay up front. I've killed off the administrative costs. That's a, that's a great autopsy comment where we just all looked at our club program and said, do we want to keep doing it that way? So it's a balance right there, right? Because it's good for the customer. The customers love it. But from an, an operational point of view, it's more challenging. So, I know there's uh, software, obviously, that, that, you know, that can make that a little bit easier. Some yeah. of the programs out there, Service Titan, Pazer, a few yeah. of them will allow you to see the credit cards, yeah. see when they're expiring. I see it 30 days in Stripe advance. is another one, yeah. right? Yep. So you can send yep. them a, a notification, right? Yep. But there's still, like you say, there is an administrative piece you know, to that. Somebody's got to call them. Yeah. Somebody's got to get the card. The, key to the, the customers the, don't return the calls and they don't, you know, they, they ghost. They go ghost. The key to the, the monthly number, obviously, I think is, is it's like the gym membership, right? Mm -hmm. It's the lowest barrier to entry, right? It's almost that thing that it's like, it's more inconvenient for me to have to pick up the phone and call to cancel it than it is to just kind of let it roll on by. And, and again, there is an added benefit, you know, to that. And, and, and speaking of that, you know, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. I was, you know, you got me thinking as you guys were talking from a tactical standpoint, right? What are some of the, the things that you, know, you can do you know, with maintenance or customers uh, you know, once you have them you know, to, 
you know, to, to get the most of that opportunity, right? So, so for example, uh, we've got these we've got these people in our base, right? And a lot of people say, well, you know, Drew, I, you know, I can't even market for new tune-ups now because I've got, you know, my techs are so busy doing maintenance agreements, you know, uh, tune-ups on the maintenance agreements for our existing customer base, right? Our existing maintenance agreement customers, I can't market to do new tune-ups, right? So my argument there is, okay, well, why don't we shift to one tune-up a year where we're meaning one visit a year where we're tuning up the heating and the cooling system on spot. You've now doubled your capacity, right? right? So there's an opportunity there. So, so from a tactical standpoint, what are some of the ideas that you could do to leverage your maintenance agreement base. Another one being, you could maybe start to go ahead and have a multi-tiered program where you pay a higher level of access for maintenance, right? So for example, we'll put a system onto your existing, we'll put a monitoring system onto your HVAC system where we monitor your HVAC equipment and we'll come out and you know when there's an opportunity for repair, uh, we'll be able to know that before it becomes a major problem, right? but you're gonna pay for a higher level of access, right? So that's taking a maintenance agreement and putting it onto steroids. So what are some of the types of things that you could do with your existing base to go beyond just having a maintenance agreement customer where you just do tune-ups? That's a great question. I've got a, a client that's been very effective. Now they do plumbing as well. And so they got the bright idea one day to start calling their 20,000 maintenance agreements customers and say, oh, by the way, you're due for your annual plumbing inspection. It's included in your maintenance agreement. Okay. And they have built a hellacious plumbing department off just going back to those same 20,000 people and saying, oh, by the way, it includes Excellent. a plumbing yeah. inspection. And they have what they call PSI techs, which are greenhorn techs. Then go in and see if uh, an angle stops leaking or if a water heater is rusting or just basic stuff. And then they go and have that conversation, just like a service technician on the HVAC side. Hey, I've noticed some problems here, here, here. You know, would you like to talk to somebody about fixing these things? And they bring in one of the plumbing techs to come in and sell it. And... Uh, so that's they've leveraged their that program to really build a, a powerful. I have a client in Virginia did the same thing. They they called it the whole house program. They threw in the the plumbing, the electrical, and security inspection because they have those other departments, right? They built this whole ecosystem, mm -hmm. and now we have the whole home agreement. Yeah, so we do electrical, plumbing, just exactly the way you described it, yeah. and we you know we cross market that. So on a plumbing call, there's a, you know a, an agreement. It's one club agreement. And so it includes all of that. And so the, you know, the HVAC is a part of that if it's a plumbing call. And if it's an HVAC call, the plumbing and electrical is part of that. And so we schedule that. It's free. It's, you know, it's built into the value of the club. Right. And what we want to do is we want to cross-market that. So back to that question, you know, so that's water filtration, water softeners. But it's also, uh, I think, one of the things we talk about a lot is selling accessories to the database, things that they don't have. So we want to collect information that the customer does not have. We want to put that in our database. And so we can email drip campaign to those customers. We can call center those customers. We know in advance how to stock the inventory on the truck. So we'll run a 30-day promotion. So that might be an air scrubber. That might be a humidifier, dehumidifier, whatever it is, whatever market you're in. And what we do is we basically give a 30-day trial period to the service agreement club customer. Oh, nice. We basically say, we're going to put it in for you. You're not, you don't have to pay for it because I can keep the credit card for 30 days under you know, the current law, and I can ding the card at that point. So we basically mitigate the risk of the client. We take the money out of it, which is obviously we all know in sales, money is kind of the main objection, right? And um, we also give a best value, lowest cost guarantee to that client. And because we've stocked the truck, 
the vehicle has been paid for, the overhead has been paid for, for to us to be present. Sure. So it's really a sales minus cost of goods sold issue, the gross profit dollars that are there. That's how we raise our average tune-up ticket, is we can place the material on the truck. We know in advance what we're going to see that week or that month. Every day we talk about that, and we can monitor that, restock the vehicles. And basically, we promote that. We pay the guys, obviously. They're getting paid. The yep. techs are in love with that idea. So during your shoulder seasons, if you're running that $79 tune-up, you're going to get killed in terms of your costs. But if you sell a humidifier, an air cleaner, or a water filtration system, water softener, whatever it is, water heaters, you win. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's something that we do. Where would, where would you find that? I think there are probably some content <laughs> Online, there's a website. Might be a video. There's a video, and there's a website. What's the website? EGI.org. .org, right? Yeah. And as a we, member, uh, you get access to all that, and I believe the investment for that, once you're a member. It's $499 a month. But once you're a member, access to all that oh, it's content. Free. It's free. It's free. What free. if they had a question about that? They free. could ask the experts, okay. right? Send an email, right? Yeah. Uh, and the content one of you two guys. Yeah, we're going to Contractor Connect, yeah. you know, .org. Yeah and submit that. So you get the emails, I get the contractor connect, yep. and uh, we respond. We do. we do. Let me tell you about a little thing we did uh, for a client. Uh, one of the things they do is they cut loose uh, about a half a dozen new grain maintenance techs about every 12 weeks. They have their own little school. And so these guys are not very skilled at setting leads and turning leads, right? So they end up, we have them take pictures of everything. Windows, the company does windows too. Windows, HVAC, plumbing, whatever, whatever. And then the technician, we've trained them to rate the opportunity from zero to three. A three would be the ductwork is trashed. So even if they don't have the skills to try to turn the ductwork lead, they rate it a three. The dispatchers go back through it, they categorize it, and then the rehashers the next day call, and they pull up all the threes from the day before, and the rehashers are way more skilled. Hey, I noticed that your ducts were in really bad shape, and we could send someone out to talk to you about that. It's been a very effective system. Uh, they're growing so fast, this company, that they can't have really skilled maintenance techs. But what we found is that the dispatchers are pretty good at identifying opportunities if the technicians rate and have the pictures. There you go. Another Age, idea we used to call that the age and condition code, right? We yeah. put that on every service invoice. My guys had to do that back in the day at Cameron and Sons. We'd get all our clients to know age yeah. and condition, right? Because, again, like you said, somebody who's in the house may not be able to have that conversation, but somebody back at the office can assess that opportunity and say, okay, should I, you know, should this conversation be put into the hands that out. of somebody, <laughs> <laughs> somebody who's a little bit more skilled, right? And, uh, and, and that way, you know, you knew if you saw like a sale on an AC, you know, thing, the, a $400 repair on a system that was 12 years old, condition code three, right? Uh, you know, the, Condition code four was dead, right? Condition code three was basically at the end of its useful life, right? That type of thing. And if you if you saw that, then you saw there was at least an opportunity. And you, you know, we can talk about four hundred dollars times, you know, age of the equipment, right? Obviously, that makes it, you know, beyond the four K number that we talk about on repair versus replace. But but ductwork, those other things, those things, you know, to this day, it, it blows my mind, especially with the technology, right? We're all going to ECM Motors, and we're taking this conversation outside of maintenance agreements now, but you know, all the equipment now has to have an ECM motor. All the furnaces will now have ECM motors as of the as of July, right? Yep. And somehow the contractors in the United States seem to think that the ductwork that was installed in the house 30 years ago, when this technology did not exist, is somehow still viable to match up with the new technology. So old ductwork 
new furnace, somehow people are accepting that. Unacceptable. 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 Anybody who watches this video, if you do not talk to the customer about improving their duct system yep. with an ECM motor product going into that house or maintaining, taking over a house and, and on the maintenance agreement, seeing that they have an ECM motor and a 30-year-old duct system, I mean... Every conversation should start with, you've got three components to your system. You've got the HVAC system, which is the heart, the ductwork, which is the arteries, and the insulation, which is to help you keep the hot air and cold air you're paying for. And that should be a part of the conversation. I got a question to get off in the weeds a little bit on the accounting side yeah. of maintenance agreements, because this is one that's always confused me a little bit. So if you collect $179 ahead of time, mm -hmm. uh, do you have to reflect that on your balance sheet as like a, a liability because you haven't performed the service yet, right? You got the revenue, but not the service yet. How, does, how do you handle that from an accounting perspective? Um, there's two different approaches to that. So the first approach is to just recognize the revenue and say, uh, I've got the cash, and I know I've got that future liability, and just deal with it. Um, that's the most common way. Most bookkeeping functions or accounting functions do not have the deferred liability account that you're, I think you're getting at set up on the balance sheet. Uh, and so that's an acceptable method. It's not very accurate though, because it doesn't really reflect that future liability of the labor and ultimately the cost. You know, you might have some parts in there and so forth. Um, so, but it works. Um, the bigger you get, the more problematic that becomes. If I'm a smaller company, um, it's not really that big of a deal because I can kind of keep my fingers on it. Um, if you get a little bit bigger, you grow your program into the 20,000 maintenance agreement type strategy that you're talking about. Um, you do really probably want to set up a deferred liability account. And uh, so that's the way we teach it. That's the way we recommend it. Uh, but that's an accounting discussion. And so what we do is we set up a deferred liability account. And we do not recognize that revenue when we collect it. We, we literally, it's in cash. Bellagio, service, great service. Yeah. yeah one of the rooms catching on fire. <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll go back to the other. So uh, the Second way to do that is to set up the deferred liability account on the balance sheet. Do not recognize that revenue at that time. Put the 179 in cash. So we, we show cash, we've got the money, but we are gonna have the deferred liability account that will also show the 179. And then what we do is when we run the call, we move cash you know, to payroll and we debit the deferred liability account so it comes down and we match the revenue and the cost. So we move that over to the income statement from the balance sheet. So that's really how the balance sheet communicates to the income statement. So each time we run a call, we, we, we do it monthly. Uh, Successware 21, uh, most of the uh, integrated accounting systems will allow you to do that. So when you run a call, you can click that and it'll move it over for you. So you're, you're taking a portion of that. So for us, you know, it's, um, it's one third you know, of the transaction that we've collected. Um, the second part of that discussion, Wally, is we sell uh, long-term maintenance agreements. Different states are going to have different requirements for that. Um, the state of Texas, state of Florida, state of Colorado, um, so they're they're going to require you to do that and you actually have to have uh, uh, an insurance and a license to be able to collect prepaids beyond one year. In Arizona we don't have to have that license. We do it that way though because it's proper accounting. So if I sell a 10-year agreement and I collect, uh, let's call it three, so we have multiple systems out there, lots of three, four, five systems. I might collect four or $5,000 in advance. Um, I, I don't wanna put that in my cash and recognize that as revenue right now because I've got 
you know, 10 years worth of future liability out there. So that deferred liability account is essential at that point. Do you put the cash aside? The cash we put in a separate account. Some um, states you do have to put the cash aside. That's and, correct. And draw it as you fulfill the service. And then we and then we draw it as gotcha. we fulfill the service. Again, that's the right way to do it. That is the correct way to do it. And uh, it's not as complicated as it sounds yeah. when you actually draw it on a piece of paper. There's a nice article on the EGI site that gives you the debits and credits and really goes through that process. I also have a little video that we've video. produced. And uh, we can show you the debit and credit transactions because a lot of accounting people are confused by that. If I have somebody that's doing my accounting that isn't a CPA, that concept a lot of times gets in the way of you know understanding. And so, the, uh, so the companies will collect the money, put it on the balance sheet as cash, and they don't have the deferred liability account. Now it looks like I got a lot of cash, and so I start thinking about, well, I'm I'm going to renovate my building, or I'm going to you know right. spend some money on some trucks, or you know well, maybe do some marketing, whatever. And what they don't realize is, you know, you've got these payroll liabilities plus the taxes, you know, plus the vehicle costs. So we want to establish cost, and we want to make sure that that transaction gets done that way for sure. And it's important from a, you know, from the perspective that uh, that you talked about in there that I, I want to make sure that we highlight is that it's the truest picture of your business mm -hmm. to, to go ahead and have the deferred liability because again, especially with him selling you know large agreements like that, and if you get into the commercial side, that can even be compounded even to a higher level is if you got all that cash and you recognize it but you don't have the expense of the of the work right now you're throwing off your numbers you know and uh, you know when you start to look at KPIs and whatnot then you're throwing those off and so the deferred liability is definitely the way to go uh, from an accurate standpoint uh, accuracy standpoint and it's true uh, what we call accrual accounting if you will but like he said a lot of people don't get that they don't right. understand it and they'll be on accrual accounting for like a piece of the business but then when you look at maintenance agreements and inventory, they're kind of cash, <laughs> they're cash accounting. So, it's a hybrid system. Yeah, hybrid. By the way, we might have a class on that, right? There is, I think, a class on that. We have a class yeah. on and Speaking that. of that, that's what I was going to refer to, is that there's a class on, on service mm -hmm. agreements as well. And I think on that note, probably would be a good time to close out that topic. A lot of good information, guys. Yeah. But what you're, what you're kind of saying, a maintenance agreement program is important. I, I think it's probably the most <laughs> vital aspect of a sustained business. Yeah. Solid foundation. It, it is, like we said, it's the long-term play. And most people who go into this business go into it for the long-term, not the short-term. You know, And so the long-term play would be have a maintenance agreement program. Because really, at the end of the day, what are we talking about? We're talking about connectivity, relationships with people. At the end of the day, people do business with people. And if we have that connectivity, we have that, that commitment to one another, then, I mean, we're going to be in, be in it for the long haul. So I think that's the thing. I got one small yeah. point to add to that. So the economy has been pretty good here, you know, in the last few years. But 2008 was a good example of when there was a bit of a hiccup. Yeah. And so the companies that were relying on the marketing strategy, where they were spending money yeah. to acquire new customers, um, they ran into a very difficult patch. And most of those companies did not have maintenance clubs. Uh, or did they, they didn't have the KPI necessary to sustain. Because typically what happens when the economy goes south, people will repair right. as opposed to do the replacement. They'll, they'll defer that expense because they're just nervous about their money. And so we want to grow our maintenance and we want to grow our service business during that time frame. The connectivity of the maintenance club agreement insulates us from the ups and downs of the economic recession. And uh, I've seen five of them in my career. And I suspect there'll be a sixth uh, economy cycle. We can't really control that. So as business owners, I think what we want to make sure we understand is the sustainability of the company 
uh, and the cash flow improves, actually it gets better during the negative recession when you have the club agreements. And that's a little known fact, unless you've sort of come through that and uh, you know, you've made that mistake or two once in a while. Uh, during my consulting practice, 2009, 2010, I fixed a lot of companies in that yeah. time frame that did not buy into the maintenance philosophy, and uh, that was problematic. So I can't stress enough the need for the Maintenance Agreement Club program, just, just for that reason alone. And what I, it was interesting, because what I heard, and it's a great point, what I heard <laughs> is that, well, you know, we, we lost some people during, during the recession. People canceled our maintenance agreements during the yeah, recession. I was some like, of them did. Some, some of them did. Some of them did, yeah. <laughs> you know, But I, I'll take 75, 85% of a right. business versus no business. If I have 20,000 maintenance agreements and uh, 2008 happens and I go down to 16,000, I'm still able to survive. If I don't have any maintenance agreements, no amount of marketing money will get me to spend money on a replacement if I'm worried about my job and what's happening around the corner. You got it. Here's the two smart sons of bitches. Three. I wrote a book on money. <laughs> Three books. He don't have to be Three books. Three books.